to Buenta Vista Socialist Club, episode 45. Uh, oh, is that is that the number of the current president of the United States? Is he I thought, 45? I thought you were going to do a bit again about the... Yeah, I thought you were going to do the same bit. I feel like three weeks in a row would be a bit much. I really like those people that their whole thing is... They're like, I won't call him Mr. President. I won't <laughs> call him by name. I simply refer to him as 45. This somehow oh, robs wow. him of power. Like he's... <laughs> Are you still acknowledging him as the president? Anyway, uh, I am Andrew, and I am here, of course, uh, returned from the mysterious Orient, oh. is Ben. Hello. I'm back. Hi, Ben. I think that's racist. I think, I think that's we don't racist. say the Orient anymore. I think we don't. Oh, you don't. The O word. <laughs> I don't think we say that either. I was having a conversation with someone the other day, like, oh, would you call Japan part of the Orient? And I was like, No. <laughs> I mean, if you were to call all of Asia the Orient, I would include Japan in the Orient. Is that wrong? Seems correct. Oh, look, I I, I just like it because it harkens back to a simpler, charming time when it was all a big mystery to a bunch of idiots. Uh, we're also joined um, by most of what's left of Lucy. Hi, Lucy. Uh, hey, what's up? Lucy's feeling good. Uh, I, she, feel, I feel great. She contracted anime fever at the comic book convention. I did. People are telling me that uh, con flu is a thing. Yeah. And it's where you're around too many uh, mouth-breathing nerds and then you get really sick. So that <laughs> happened to me. It's because they're all breathing out of their mouths. That's right. That's what happened. Disgusting. Uh, and and we are joined by um, returning three-time reigning champion... Uncrowned mayor of Newcastle and leader of the Apex Gang, Hunter Valley Subdivision, Mr. Matt Brady. Hello, Matt. Yes, hello. Uh, I've also returned from the Orient as I've been playing a video game called Yakuza Zero. Oh, I've heard that's good. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it whips. It's really good. I hear it's good, um, but I never actually see anything from that game that's anything to do with like crime or... Yakuza or anything like that? No, it's mainly uh, doing karaoke and dancing. You can play uh, video games from the 80s in it. That's what you do basically 90% of the time. Yeah, I mainly see screenshots of people like winning a stuffed bear at an arcade. That sounds sick. Yeah, Yeah, I watched someone play for an hour and that's more or less the only thing that I saw. Uh, Still looks good. Hmm. Sounds great. And uh, how are you, Matt? I'm uh, very well. That's good. That is very good. Um, As you may or may not know, folks, the last time Matt was here, um, we were talking about, I believe, the Apex Gang, of which he is the president. And in that episode, we also um, kind of weirdly got onto the strange tale of Mr. Nelly Yoa, who is maybe a professional football player. Not really. (laughs) Definitely Uh, a friend of the show. Definitely friend and listener of the show. Um, so, so Nelly, the reason that he was related to that Apex gang story is because he kind of has a, just a distinct habit of going on the news and absolutely making up everything that he's talking about. Um, like, look, that's, that's Sounds disputed. like our bloody politicians. <laughs> <laughs> Folks up there in camera don't trust him. It's true. Um, so, so just recently, um, in what we can only assume was about of name searching, uh, he found the episode that we talked about him on. Um, it, it was, it was Which very, is very old. 
only like three months have passed in between us mm. talking about him and him responding. So I'm glad that his media team is all over it. Uh, and he did respond saying, and I quote, as a friend of the show, I must say this show is a complete shocker, horrendous and utter embarrassment. It's cringeworthy listening. I hear KFC is hiring. It's a great stepping stone. Therefore, I'm withdrawing my membership. Please get off the airwaves. Cease and desist. <laughs> okay. Let's... I want to break down a few points here. Okay. I want to know where he heard KFC was hiring. <laughs> last time I checked, they were not. Is he talking about... <laughs> just KFC, the company, is currently hiring. Somewhere in the world, there is a job vacant at a KFC. Maybe even KFC HQ. Does he, does he mean like the mascot? Could, does he mean we could be the next colonel? Ooh, I think they've, they cycle through they, they've those guys. got one. They've got a lady colonel now. Yeah, well, they haven't had an Australian colonel yet. I don't think that's Disgusting. anywhere in their, their list of the things they want to do next. Well, I bet so a lot gonna of people have, they weren't going to do first. a lady colonel. And then we're going to have an Australian colonel. And that's representation done. Mm. Done. Uh, I'm somewhat tickled that he apparently... Well, not apparently. He accepted his friend of the show status. He didn't start yeah. off by saying, I am not a friend of the show. He's like, well, I was a friend of the show. So, friendship, you know, it has to work both ways. That's true. Uh, and I guess that means he is maybe the first legitimate friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> but then friendship. he re retracts his membership. Is he saying that he's a or, paying patron? I think he um, might be retracting his membership from the club. Uh, 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 but the friendship remains. Yeah, um, well, look, he, he says that he's withdrawing his membership, and as I pointed out to him, um, he is not a patron. He is not technically a friend of the show. Very difficult to withdraw support that you have not actually given. Mm -hmm. um, so I did let him know uh, where he could subscribe, and that as soon as we receive confirmation of his membership, we will immediately apologize. Uh, he then asked me if we accept cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually what happened, by the way. Uh, he seems um, like he'd be big into cryptocurrency. He yeah. would be. Yep. Um, and of course, uh, he asks us to get off the airwaves. I don't know if he's talking about Wi-Fi. Perhaps the cellular data people use to listen to the podcast when they're not at home. Uh, and finally ends with the extremely legal sounding term, cease and desist. Hmm. I think, mm. is he, yeah, he's sort of telling us to cease and desist from podcasting, not from mentioning him on the podcast, that he wants us to stop altogether. That's the impression yeah. that I get, which to yeah, me seems does, a bit Yeah, he does rude. just encapsulate it with the show, doesn't he? He yeah. does just say, the show, please stop, go to Unless KFC. he just meant our existence in general. Oh, oh that's very... Maybe that's, we should have reported the tweet. We no should way. have. This yeah, man told threat. us to stop existing entirely. Hmm. I don't know. He see it. He seems like a relatively light-hearted guy for how incredibly strange his media presence is. <laughs> he is one of the only two people that I have ever written a story about how they're a dickhead, and then they've like emailed to be like, "Hey, I want to talk to you about that fucking story you wrote." It was him and Rod Cullerton. Wow. Wait, did sorry? Has he contacted you separately about a different story? Oh yeah, like five or six months ago. Uh, <laughs> wow. When I wrote a pedestrian story about him, uh, they were like, he said, what did the editor be? Like, I would like to talk to this Ben McClay fellow. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, obviously, I, I never responded. And then, yeah, 
I had Rod Cullerton like a month ago. <laughs> Just be like, I would demand a right of reply. <laughs> uh, but he caught me on one of my days off, and I'm always drunk on my days off. So I decided uh, not to follow through. That's fair enough. Well, um, Nelly is the, I believe, the second person that we have spoken to who has acknowledged the show. Uh, Thanks, the first, Nelly. Yeah. Thank you, Nelly. And, of course, the first being uh, Caleb Bond, who listened to the first five minutes of an episode that we did about him and chose to only focus on the quote of Ben saying, I would like to shoot him with a gun. (laughs) Took it somewhat seriously. We should definitely mention this in as many episodes as possible. Really just repeat it uh, as often as we can. As Ben's lawyer, I would like to point out he never said what kind of gun. He never said where. He would shoot Caleb. Yep. Thank this you very much. not a death threat. No. Really. I was mm. thinking maybe kneecapping him with one of those confetti guns. Mm. Yeah, you could be tasing him. <laughs> could be any number of options. A oh, stun gun? Oh, no. Yeah. I was thinking, what's a... Did, can you get guns that fire tranquilizer darts or is that strictly a blow dart situation? No, I think you well, can. You can get the guns. Don't so uh, what... zoos use that yeah. for like... Yeah. 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 mental. Yeah. They couldn't get it in time. They could not they get her up in time. Mm-hmm. Blow his brains out. Yeah, unfortunately, they kept their actual gun closer than the tranquilizer gun. <laughs> so they've <laughs> really America rethought now. Oh. Well, I was, look, honestly, I got <laughs> no, no idea. Metaphor. I got no idea how long um, gorilla tranks take to kick in either. Well, they're beefy like if, boys. If you just got an angry gorilla, like, just hopping around the zoo and he's pissed, um, maybe you can hit him with a couple of darts and wait the, wait the two minutes. But if he happens to be holding a toddler at the time, uh, how how many seconds do you want between spiking him with a dart this, and waiting for him to pass out? This sounds a lot like one of those hypothetical situations that <laughs> Jeff Daniels kept quizzing uh, Keanu on in speed. <laughs> so my Pop answer quiz. would be to shoot the child with the tranquilizer uh, dart. Mm, and they nice. buy a diffuser situation entirely. Yeah, it's kind of like that thing where they tell you like, that it's dead. And, uh, you know, that thing where they're like, oh, if you, you fall out a window when you're drunk or whatever, you don't break your bones because your body's so relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Friend of the show, Ben Jenkins, did a, a really, really good piece for Nailed It just after the Harambe thing happened that the crux of it essentially was, well... If Harambe did have to die, it should have been another gorilla that shot him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Makes only sense. fair. Makes sense. <clears throat> so, so folks, um, we had a, a recent request. Someone pinged us on the old um, web, the the sure. inter the internet, um, to ask us to just just follow up on a little little recent thing about Mark Latham, old friend of the show. This big overheated melon, Mark Latham, um, which I would like to do. But before we get into that, I thought that I would um, just run through a little bit of Mark's personal history because we have spoken about him before. And, you know, there'd be plenty of people who are aware of him in his current incarnation who might have been a bit too young to remember him when he was a political figure. Could I suggest something? Absolutely. Could we split his timeline into Mm -hmm. pre- decline we -hmm. call him mark latham post decline dark latham oh okay i like that but i'm also working on a theory that he was always like this you think he was always dark Latham? i think there's always these like signs like things that he said when he was uh leader of the opposition you think this is maybe a a chancellor palpatine emperor palpatine situation 
That is Ooh. exactly what I think. Mm. Okay. Mm. Well, um, allow me to lay out the evidence I have gathered. Um, first, though, I just wanted to quickly run through a bit of his, a bit of his, uh, I guess, younger life. Because I think that when you consider it in the light of the way he presents himself today, it's quite a contrast. So here's a little bit of history about outsider Mark Latham. Uh, he went to the Hurlstone Agricultural High School, where he was ducks. He went to the University of Sydney, um, supposedly one of the finest universities in the world, where he graduated with a Bachelor of Economics with honours in 1982. While he was a student, he was an advisor to Labour politician John Kerrin from 1980 to 82. After completing his degree, he worked as a research assistant to former Labour Prime Minister Gough Whitlam from 82 to 87, which included working on his book, The Whitlam Government, uh, and then as an advisor to then leader of New South Wales opposition Bob Carr from 1988 to 1991. In 1987, he was elected to the Liverpool City Council uh, in Sydney's southwest and was mayor from 1991 to 94. In 94, he was then elected to a by-election in the House of Representatives for the Sydney seat of Werriwa, which had been Gough Whitlam's seat from 1952 to 1978. So it sure sounds a lot like he got parachuted into his mentor's seat. Uh, his views alienated him from many Labour traditionalists, but his aggressive parliamentary style won him many admirers. He once prefer referred to Prime Minister John Howard as a, quote, arse licker, and to the Liberal Party frontbench as a conga line of suckholes. Now, he also I described... <laughs> I've only saw that in the notes just before for the first time, and... The conga line of suckholes. Putting aside my political differences with Mark Latham, mm -hmm. uh, my grievances with his personality and the way that he conducts himself, what an incredible formulation of words. Mm. What a, really a, a majestic, beautiful, mm. that's like a cellar door style sentence. Like mm. the, Even if you didn't speak English and you just heard the sounds... A conga line of suckholes. <laughs> you would know that it was a powerful snippet of words. Yeah, it's majestic. What's a suckhole? The the butthole. I assume. I, I, well, oh, I, I, I assume it's. True. I, I no. Sorry, I take that back. I assume that it is a mouth hole that is attached to someone else's ass. That to me, mm. suckhole is really great because it's evocative. Mm -hmm. It's sort of got a. a, a, a it has notes of a sinkhole-esque kind of flavor, but it's definitely uh, obscene in nature. Uh, it's it's simply delightful. I feel like as the oldest uh, person here, suckhole was like kind of a bogan insult from the 80s. Oh, okay. And I'm not really sure what it means either. I kind of always assumed it meant something to do with sucking dick. Yeah, okay. surely. Yep. The hole that you use to suck a dick, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's like a mouth I will becomes say, a suck hole if it's used yeah. to suck dicks. Um, personally, to me, just the phrase conga line of suck holes basically just conjures the image of the human centipede. Mm. Yeah, well, mm. you can't really conga... Like, so, if you're in a conga line, you can't be only one person can... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one person can suck a dick. The head of the conga line can. Yeah, no, I mean, like, if you were um, if you were sucking the dick of the person in front of you, you'd have to be kind of, uh, like, underneath them. And then you'd have the to alternate, behind you would have to be on their knee. Yeah, it would be alternating. It'd be a daisy chain It'd be like a thing. chain of 69s. Yeah. A, a mm. Offset 69s. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh. 6969, 696969, um, which is not at all like a conga line. A conga line is very clearly something where you are holding the hips of the person in front of you sucking their hole. I think we can all agree. I, 
I think you might have again confused a conga line with the concept of a human centipede, but uh, the, the, no, no, the no, elements are roughly the like, same. Anatomically, it's the closest thing that we can talk about is a, a, a conga line of people. It's a whole bunch of people all holding the hips of the person in front of them. Mm-hmm. That's what we understand a conga line to be, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm following you then, to this part. Yeah, but, but the mouth from on there, the butthole, right? Mouth on, mouth on the butthole. That's that's the only way you can get to sucking a hole or using your suck hole. In a conga line. From that position. Once in you're conga. in that position, you can no longer conga. Yeah. I mean, it's fair. Yeah, Is like that controversial? Have to be, no, you'd have to be doing like almost a, uh, like the Cossack dancing kind of, kind of hopping <laughs> along, you know? <laughs> yeah. It'd be hell on your quads. It's it a podcast. Absolute. <laughs> <laughs> it's the simplest explanation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There we are. <clears throat> so at age 42, Mark Latham became the youngest leader of the federal parliamentary Labour Party since its first leader... Uh, Chris Watson, who became leader at age 33 in 1901. So just all that context I wanted to give for the idea that this man considers himself a political outsider, a guy who has literally been a political insider since he came of age as an adult, basically. Um, Sounds like pretty much since he was 18 years old, he's been uh, a research assistant and political aide to... um, you know, some some of the biggest political figures in yeah. the country's history. After being like ducks of the school and going to a great university and all the all the real outsider shit. Yep. Yep. Do be fair. Real you really can't them. get in the Australian Labour Party. You really can't get more of a crown pit prince than Gough Whitlam's protege. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um. So then he then he was elected um, the leader of the opposition. And went into the the election versus John Howard, uh, Johnny, little Johnny Howard. Now there was a whole lot of drama before that about how he came to be leader of the opposition, um, with all the sort of stuff involving like Kim Beasley and Simon Crean and a bunch of drama and everything. But he did become the leader, and during that election campaign, here are some of the hints, Lucy, that we were discussing of the dark mm. Latham to come. Mm. Yes. <clears throat> During the 2004 election campaign, frequent references were made to Latham's temper. He was alleged to have broken a taxi driver's arm in a scuffle <laughs> arising from a fare dispute. It's also uh, relevant to say that since that time, in the last year or two, he has absolutely admitted to doing that and crowed about it on social media. Yeah, didn't um, he? Um, call, one of his... call, refers to the guy's Mustafa. Yeah, it is pre-outing uh, himself as... Tweeting from the handle, real Mark Latham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Who could have guessed it was him? He wouldn't have got away with it. I know we've spoken about this those before. Pesky but honestly, kids. It was just so neatly perfect that they were just like, I mean, I'm sure they did work to figure out that this is how you would do it. But it was just a friend of the show, Mark Stefano, being like, oh, no, it is him. And here are the steps to prove that it is. One, two, three, bam, there it is. Perfect, it's him. Like, and there was no recourse. There's no way he could, you know, try and work his way out of it. It's just like, oh, fuck. Oh, he had a very feeble attempt at it, but it didn't fly. But oh, he hasn't so even good. deleted the tweets. They're still there. I know, it's so good. He's the Bucks Knight <laughs> porno man. Uh, In July 2004, Latham again became the centre of controversy when it was alleged on a commercial television network that he had punched a political rival (laughs) during his time on Liverpool Council. (laughs) 
Maybe he is Again. good, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so some hints, possibly some hints to the weird brain and temper problems of Mark Latham. Uh, now, here's an interesting thing that I came across when, when looking at this stuff. Some of the election policies and initiatives introduced during the 2004 election campaign under Mark Latham included, and keep in mind, think of, think of the Mark Latham we know today, when I rattle off to you policies and initiatives such as a ban on food and drink advertising during children's television viewing hours, a federal ban on plastic shopping bags, and the introduction of legislation to prohibit vilification on the basis of religious beliefs or sexual orientation. Wow. Huh. Indeed. Oh, similar to laws adopted in Victoria that some critics said had led to a restriction of free speech. These initiatives prompted Howard to criticize Latham as a, quote, behavioral policeman. <laughs> Also, just as a side note, uh, the, the first two things on that list, uh, I think we did get the food and drink one, didn't we? That that did happen? That is illegal to advertise those during ch- children's programming? I really? think so. But the plastic bag thing is like fucking years away. That's, mm. that's wild. I can't believe they were floating that in 2004. Hmm. But uh, but yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting when you look at it in the light of the of the dark Latham we all we all know and love today. And his biggest, the one that uh, got me to vote for him, and I'm not ashamed of saying that, is that uh, he was very against the Iraq War. Was he? Yeah. Well, that was hmm. that was an interesting thing that when apparently the story goes that um, Kevin Rudd, I think, was the the shadow defense dude at the time maybe or foreign affairs one of the two um and part of part of what apparently brought latham undone as opposition leader was his absolute refusal to countenance advice from anybody right so there's quotes from him saying to his own chief of staff i don't need a political advisor i'm the political advisor which is some awesome i'm the captain now shit um, but yeah, so he like, he wouldn't really take advice from anybody and he even wound up like organizing his own diary and shit because he flew into a rage at the idea of having to go to like meetings that he had not personally vetted and accepted the invitation for, which you would think is kind of a hard act to keep up as the leader of a political party. Isn't it weird how the top ends up being filled with like insane rage filled narcissists? Hmm. So weird. Yeah. So Odd. weird. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a funny coincidence, that's all. Mm. Um so yeah, so he wouldn't let other people um manage his affairs. So what he did was he saw a thing on the news and he phoned um phoned Kevin Rudd and left a voicemail on his phone that said uh, hey, tomorrow morning I'm going to go on the news and say that if I'm elected that we're going to pull all of our troops out of Iraq by Christmas. Mm. Uh, and then promptly switched off his phone, <laughs> causing Kevin Rudd to throw insane conniptions as he rang him over and over again, pleading with him not to do it. Um, but lo and behold, Mark Latham came out and said, uh, if we're elected, we're going to pull out of Iraq. We're going to get all of our troops out by Christmas. And that allowed... Um, John Howard to paint Labour as cutting and running on the Iraq war and being soft on terrorism and all that sort of shit. Um, George Bush weighed in and called it a disastrous, disastrous policy. Yeah. yeah. Which in and turn, he refused to back down even after that too. Yeah. And that in turn led to a big um, 
debate in Australia about whether or not George Bush weighing in on it, George Bush Jr. weighing in on it was like a foreign power interfering in a domestic election. Mm. Um, so it was quite a it was quite a thing at the time, wasn't it? And I don't want to paint him as some guy who was like uh, bravely standing up against America either. He also was very quick to say, oh, we stand by our American allies, blah, 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 and all the usual stuff. But he did seem uh, pretty firm about pulling Australian troops completely out of Iraq very quickly. Mm. He did, however, also describe uh, George W. Bush as, quote, the most incompetent and dangerous president in living memory. Mm. Wow. So, um, you know, he, he came out pretty wild with a lot of stuff. Uh, there was, of course, that infamous handshake oh, that we've spoken job. about on the show before. Love the Ooh, handshake. Good, Love the good handshake. actually. Ooh, as, as we say anytime this comes up, please, if you don't know what we're talking about, please look up a video of Mark Latham and John Howard and the the handshake. Literally, if you just Google Latham handshake, it'll be the first thing yep. that comes it'll up. Be the fir- it's one of the first things that comes up if you just go to YouTube and type in Mark Latham, actually. It's mm. just, it is such an insane insight into his personality. Well, it, I, I have some quotes here that I have not heard before of Latham himself explaining his logic behind it. So you you tell me what you think it says about his personality, and then I'll I'll tell you what the man himself says. Well, he thinks being physically dominating is a very literal sign of being better or more powerful than someone. See, I think if he did dominate Howard, it might have worked better than it did. But you've got to give... I won't say you've got to give little Johnny Howard credit because I don't think uh, bravery is something you necessarily deserve credit for. But little Johnny stood his ground and Mark Latham is a much bigger... Mm. He's a, a big boy. stronger, younger fella than little nerdy, five foot tall gnome John Howard. But he, uh, <laughs> you know, he stood his ground. He didn't back down. He didn't flinch even a little bit. Which really. was the genius move because if yeah, you act was. like a normal person in that circumstance, uh, Latham looks like the craziest <laughs> fucking bastard alive. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so here's here's the bit of background on it. On the morning of the 8th of October, the day before the election, a television crew filmed Latham and Howard shaking hands as they crossed paths outside an ABC studio. The footage showed Latham attempting to draw Howard towards him and tower over his shorter opponent. He really, really yanks him in, doesn't he? It's almost the a Trump of- handshake. It's mm. very close to one. It's only really a couple of degrees off from him going in for a kiss, right? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Or just like shoving him, you know, like a like a tripping a, him over, ready to start a fight, shoving a dude away from you, kind of deal. Getting one of his staffers uh, to get on like all fours <laughs> behind him and then to push him over. <laughs> so the incident received wide media coverage, and while Latham claimed to have been attempting to get revenge for Howard squeezing his wife's hand too hard <laughs> at a press function, wow. <laughs> It was variously reported as being, quote, aggressive, bullying, and intimidating on the part of Latham. You squeezed my wife's hand too hard at a thing. Now I'm going to crush all the bones in your hand in front of all these cameras on the morning of the election. Was it the day before? The the day before the election. It was the day before, yeah. That uh, immediately made me think of that. um, Everyone know that? It was that fucking song by Brad Neely, the the Washington one. Just about... George Washington. I have no idea what you're talking about. No uh, idea. Oh, God damn it. All right. Well, this reference just doesn't. Uh, <clears throat> it's not landing. 
people of the show, friends, fans of the show, people listening to the podcast, if you know what that reference I was going to make was, uh, please reply replied to the... I'm just abandoning this. I'm done with it. I'm done with all okay. of it. Uh, keep okay. going, please. <clears throat> Moving on. Uh, and of course, the weirdest thing about the whole scenario is just the the crazed rictus grin on his face throughout mm. this whole thing. <laughs> he's, he's got an absolutely maniacal smirk on his face. It's very unsettling. Please watch the video. Uh, the Liberal Party campaign director... Brian Lochnan said, le- said later that this incident generated more feedback to Liberal headquarters than anything else during the six-week campaign and that it, quote, brought together all the doubts and hesitations that people had about Mark Latham. Latham disputes the impact of this incident, however, having described it as a, quote, Tory G-up. We got close to each other, sure, but otherwise it was a regulation man's handshake. According to Latham's account of events, Latham came in close to Howard for the handshake to prevent Howard shaking with his arm rather than his wrist. <laughs> Extremely mm. normal. Super normal stuff. Um, I also feel like that's another uh, another one for you, Lucy, of the uh, hints of the mark to come. Oh, yeah. Both- this has always been his personality, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's the, the fact that he thought this was a good idea in the first place. Um... Then the secondary follow-up that he wants to cast it as, like, defending his wife's honor somehow. Uh, and thirdly, that he describes it as a regulation man's handshake. There's <laughs> <laughs> automatically something weird about, like, any any it's dude who's weird. fixated on handshakes as, like, a, a signifier of masculinity. I think if you have to, like, justify the form of your handshake... Or even examine a handshake in any level of detail, you're doing it too wrong. Like, you know, like the handshake of a real estate agent, for instance, mm-hmm. that's a studied handshake. You know, they're trying to establish a power dynamic. Yeah. They're trying to show confidence, whatever. There's someone that's thought about it. And then it's it's already unnatural. They've ruined it. It should just be a natural gesture. That's a normal whatever. Anytime it's a studied thing, you're a fucking psychopath. My... My thought process about handshakes or like the amount the amount of time that I dedicate to thinking about like how a handshake went, how how it felt, all that kind of stuff, um, lasts exactly as long as the handshake. So like if I shake somebody's hand and it is like cold and sweaty, I think, oh, it's clammy. And then I let go and I go about my fucking day. It's the end of it. You don't want to be haunted by a handshake. No, no, I am... Um, or, or like, you know, when you when you shake somebody's hand and you just both come in short or whatever it is and you wind up accidentally just grabbing the front section of each other's fingers and it turns into a strange curtsy type thing. I've never um, done that. And then you, then you just let go and move on with your life. It's fine. You've never done a bad handshake, Ben? You've no, I mean, done... I've, done, I've done some horrendous handshakes in my time, but I've never done that one specifically, <laughs> the front portion of the hand handshake. That's a terrible handshake. Oh, yeah, you both accidentally grab too little of each other's hands. That sounds like you're scared of catching a communicable disease from each other. No, no, you just, you just, you just undershoot. You just don't go in deep enough. You, one, one or the other of you has clamped too early. And then, and then you think to yourself, oh, that's not enough, and then you just <laughs> let go and go about your day. It's fine. I don't like try and readjust during the handshake. That's a nightmare. You don't. You don't want to be trying to like reorient your grip halfway through. No, no. you just let go, and you you give it a crack another day. You know. 
Handshakes are simple. You grab their hand, they grab yours. You grab their thumb, they grab your thumb. You pull out your dagger, you slash your wrist, he slashes his wrist. You mingle your blood together. You swear some oaths and then you've got a blood brother. It's very simple. I yeah. do that every time I meet anyone. My The number of blood brothers I have is becoming, frankly, unmanageable. Mm, wrist slashed to ribbons. Yeah, I'm not doing well for blood. Uh, mm. If any uh, listeners have any blood uh, they would like to give away, please send me your blood. Bag it up. Bag it up and send it on into Ben. Anything you've got. Boxes, thimbles, Tupperware containers. Put your blood in there and give Just it to me. any classification to... Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. I, <laughs> a, B, I think He shoves it all in and uh, sees if it works. You know? All right, this might be a really dumb question. Uh, actually, <laughs> in advance, I know it is a really dumb question, but say you've got 90% of the blood you need in your body, right? But you need that extra 10%. If, <laughs> would it be a huge problem if that 10% was a different blood type? Because, I mean, it's, it's still 90% the correct blood. Is that... See, I solve this problem by just drinking it rather than putting it in my veins. I don't I, I, think that's the. St- I don't think you get the same thing out of it. I think you. Well, kinda... it's like eating a steak. You know, you get all the good meaty parts out of it. I don't think there's like a little shut-off valve that like switches it. It's like, oh, I can taste blood coming. I better shunt this directly into his veins. Oh, you're trying to tell me that out of all the cum I've swallowed, none of it's gone into my balls. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to tell me, Ben? Uh, I withdraw the question. All right. I'm going to leave uh, leave that point on that image. <clears throat> so I would like to round out this little history of, of Latham's political career with um, some of his stats, which can only be described as Hall of Fame dog shit. <clears throat> uh, Michael Latham then went on to lose the election with the government winning an increased majority. He became the first Labour opposition leader since Frank Tudor in 1917 to fail to make a net gain in seats from the government at his first election. In January 2005, citing life-threatening illness and family concerns, he announced his resignation from the Labour Party leadership and from Parliament. He had been federal leader for 13 months, the shortest tenure since Billy Hughes was expelled from the party in 1916. Latham was only the second federal Labour leader after Matthew Charlton in 1928 to leave politics without ever having held ministerial office. What a fucking loser. What a bunch of airballs. Just terrible stuff all around. Uh, and then he fucked off in a media land and pretended he's some kind of rough-and-tumble working-class man from the suburbs instead of a guy who's literally been a political insider for his entire adult life. And that brings us to today. Those are some terrible stats, though. They really are, yeah. He is uh, exceptionally good at getting fired and losing, basically. What's the election? He's been fired from pretty much every other job he's had since. You know, it's funny, though, is that he's good at getting fired in the sense that it happens to him with a... a an alarming frequency, but he's also good at getting fired in that he's been fired so many times and yet he's still somehow still going. Like, you think well, he would run yeah. out of jobs at some point? Well, let's examine the inverse of this. Yes, he gets fired a lot. Yes, he gets fired all the time. But doesn't that really tell us that he's great at getting hired? Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Absolutely a little reversal there. Fired. 
Um, funny that you raise that, Matt, because um, as has been noted by dear friend of the show, Richard Cook, uh, he said recently online, um, Mark Latham has now been fired by the Daily Telegraph, Rebel Media, and his own fan club, cementing his position <laughs> oh. as Australia's most fired man for all time. Um, Getting he, fired from your own fan club is really something it's else. It's pretty good, isn't mm-hmm. it? You uh, went on to say, his videos appear to be archived alongside former contributors on Rebel Media. Uh, the site is cooked, so it's hard to tell, but seemingly no new episodes for some time. Uh Somebody has replied to Richard saying, I've been fired more than that. He's a lightweight. To which Richard replies, uh, not included in that list. Sky News, Channel 9, the Australian Labor Party, the Australian Financial Review and Spectator Australia. You are like a little baby being fired. (laughs) And losing an election is like getting fired by the Australian people. Mm. Yeah, very much. Very much. Um, So, so as, as you mentioned... Uh, Matt getting fired by his own fan club. So, on after getting sacked from several of his uh, news jobs for things like, um, you know, calling a teenage boy a homo on the news and uh, constantly attacking um, Australian of the Year Rosie Batty for for daring to talk about um, her son being murdered, uh, attacking uh, any women who've said that they've ever used any kind of uh, medication to help manage their mental health. A lot of really great moves that he's made. Um, he he then did his whole YouTube channel. Oh, no, it was Facebook Live TV show, Mark Latham's Outsiders, uh, where he, he begged for money and posted extremely weird episodes of his show. Uh, he He then criticized his own Facebook group following Mark Lather's uh, Mark Latham Outsiders Supporters Group, it was called. At some point he criticized them and they um they kicked him out and changed the name. Was he specifically talking about the anti Semitism in there? Was that what he was Well maybe and l- let me just tell you what they changed the name to and you tell me if you think that's what it's about. Uh, they changed the name of the group to Right Wing Australia Gen Zyklon. Wow. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, uh, Zyklon was the gas they used in the gas chambers during the Holocaust. Mm. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, that might yep. be. I reckon there might be a through line there, maybe. Uh, and a friend of the show, Jason Wilson, has posted a screen capture of the screening question that you get asked when you try to join what used to be the Mark Latham Outsiders Supporters Group on Facebook. Uh, And the question that you get asked by admins is, do you believe that we must secure the existence of our people and a future for our children? Okay. So I saw someone had replied to that being like, oh, it got taken over by like meme people or whatever, which is why the name and that is so memey. But as we've talked about before, if you're very flippantly adopting extreme racism and extreme anti-Semitism as a meme thing... I don't think your actual beliefs are probably too far away from what you are doing. Well, yeah. um, I mean, we have had this whole conversation before as well about like, you know, if if you adopt any particular thing either for a joke or to further your career, I mean, like people like uh, Milo Yiannopoulos seem like a great example. 
of he's someone where like personally i don't think that he really believes or gives a shit about any of the stuff that he's saying yeah i think that he just goes oh i get a career out of this Mm -hmm. i get a career in the spotlight (laughs) and i don't really give a fuck how i get it i just know that if i say this stuff people stay mad i stay in the spotlight blah 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 he's always really quick to distance himself from you know any footage of people sigiling in front of him at an event or any of that sort of stuff he's he always has an excuse or an explanation about why he doesn't really believe that thing that he was talking about um again very similar to that thing we've talked about before of like people people doing like the the winking at the camera white face uh, sorry the the white power hand gesture thing and then saying oh i don't really mean that i just did it to make you think i meant that it's like at what point though are you just doing that Uh, if you make a career out of making people believe that that's what you think then it's it's effectively the same as just doing it yeah Particularly when yeah, you're I talking about such the key stuff. in these things, I think, is to ask yourself what. So, if it is a joke, what is the actual joke? What's, what's funny about it? Yeah. Yeah. What's funny? Oh, I. Uh, I mean, you're like, you're like a funny guy. I thought you would have understood this, but um, <laughs> uh, just saying stuff that's really uh, obscenely offensive is a joke. That's the whole joke. Yep. The end. Like that's the punchline. That's the yeah. That's the whole thing. It's actually one of the. It's one of the easiest ways to do comedy. Actually, it's yeah. I thought you would have known about that. The punchline is the part where the punchline <laughs> is the part where someone's heart really gets hurt by the thing you've said. Um, yeah, a, a couple of episodes. I think the last one or two bonus episodes ago, Theo and I were talking about um, uh, stupid Owen Benjamin and his shitty meme lord comedy. Um, and how that seems very much oriented around the idea of saying an offensive thing is the funny thing. Um, And in trying to come up with examples of conservative comedians who are funny, uh, I couldn't, but I could come up with examples of comedians who are deliberately offensive as Mm. part of their humor, but that involves the very, very obvious caveat of as long as it involves actual artistry and construction of jokes and like performance and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, and like, and the example, Dave Chappelle is like a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, he has plenty. I I think those recent specials of his that he's done, like, I think if you watch those and actually listen to them, it's uh, to me, it's very hard to come away with that from that, with the idea that he's actually hateful towards any of the things he jokes about. He always, bookends everything he's saying with like very Mm. very you know empathetic and sympathetic statements about about people um the the example i used on that episode was anthony jeselnik where like his entire thing is these are these are very offensive jokes um but he also makes it really clear throughout his act that like he's he the whole thing is a bit he's putting on a personality like the the whole construction of the jokes revolves around where is the turn in this joke going to be for the offensive punchline to come in. Like, um, but yeah, like, you know, subscribe to the show and go and go and listen to that one if you want the whole explanation. But, but yeah, if the, just the whole saying offensive shit for the sake of saying it, you are also going to net up a whole bunch of people who think that stuff for real and they're just glad someone's saying it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that was the other funny thing that I brought up in that episode was uh, uh, there was a funny crossover between those two of Owen Benjamin saying, oh, Anthony Jeselnik blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> I thought he was supposed to be the guy who doesn't give any fucks. And Anthony Jeselnik uh, quite tweeted him and said, it's because you're an unfunny alt-right fuck who's constantly <laughs> having massive meltdowns online with my name in your mouth. Uh, I don't give a fuck about you and you have nothing of value to say. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a pretty severe dunking it was a it was a huge dunking a slam dunk um lucy did bring uh one final thing to my attention about Mm -hmm. mark latham which was that he has an entire section of his wikipedia titled incident at hungry jacks (laughs) oh that's so good (laughs) all of us should aspire to have that like to a have a wikipedia article and b have a section (laughs) titled as such Finally, Hemingway has been dethroned. Baby <laughs> <laughs> shoes for sale, never worn. It sounds like a really bad sequel to Picnic at Hanging Rock. It's uh, truly, truly terrible. Um, so apparently in 2006, he was eating with his two sons at Hungry Jack's restaurant in Campbelltown, New South Wales, when he was photographed by Ross Schultz, a photographer in the Daily Telegraph. Schultz alleged that Latham snatched the camera and smashed it without destroying the electronic media that contained the photographs. It was reported that Latham called Schultz a pedophile, presumably because he thought Schultz had taken pictures of his sons. The Telegraph announced plans for upcoming publication of the photographic images and that it would be seeking $12,000 from Latham to replace the equipment. The following day, Latham appeared to drive towards a Channel 7 cameraman at his Sydney home. The photographer was unhurt, but Seven's head of news said the footage clearly showed Latham's car veer towards the cameraman as he stood on the side of the road. In 2006, he was charged with assault, malicious damage, and theft in relation to the incident. Latham did not appear in Campbelltown local court to face the charges, instead giving a lecture to a political science student at the Australian National University. When asked by a student how he could blame everyone else but himself, Latham replied, quote, I'm sorry I didn't come in here and expose myself as a miserable asswipe. Wow. Oh, God yeah. bless. Beautiful. Yep. What a gun. Top gun. What a great guy. Uh, so, folks, there's a bit of history on the, the weird unit known as Mark Latham, just for you. And at this point, I think we should probably take some questions. Uh, We do have a couple of questions about Latham, if you'd like to take them. Yes. Um, This is a good one. Friend of the show, James, asks, which current sitting MP or senator will inherit Latham's brainworms upon leaving politics? Bonus points to any panel member who can pick the Labour member this will happen to. Ooh. Oh, wow. I'm starting to wonder if Sam Dastiari's on his way. Yeah, he'd be my first pick. Yeah, I think the memes are going to eat away at his brain enough. Yeah, he's already too deep into memes and um, and he's very big at pointing fingers at people about the behavior that got him fired. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Anybody got any alternatives to Sam? Hmm. Hmm. Are we talking just Labor? I don't think it has to be Labor. I Although, mean, uh, I mean, like... Oh, if it's not just Labor, there's so many... Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, I think mean, the problem is when you're talking about the right wing of Australian politics, the, the brainworms are already Yeah, deep they're there. all cooked. Yeah. And I they're on display well before anyone's leaving politics. James Patterson is going to be a really, really, really fucked up person by the time he leaves. Oh, yeah, for sure. Hmm. I hate that guy. We all hate possible. that guy. That if he's bloodless listening little shit. to the show, <laughs> uh, I would like to fight him. 
I'm not very strong, and I'm uh, five foot seven, but I feel like I could take him. He is yeah. transparent. Mm. He looks. It looks like he would snap at a strong breeze, doesn't he? He does. Who got in trouble uh, for saying that he looked like he belonged in the Hitler Youth? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was uh, Kim Carr, wasn't it? I can't remember. He apologised. He apologised afterwards. That's spot on, though. Uh, friend of the show, huge fuckwit K Morrissey from Twitter.com asks, if we sent Mark Latham to Syria to shake Assad's hand, would that bring peace to the <laughs> Middle East? Uh, no, I think... Assad, the beautiful lion, would absolutely crush every bone in Latham's hand, <laughs> headbutt him, and uh, that would be that. Well, Latham mm. would die from the Assad curse, wouldn't he? Mm. Mm, that's yeah. true. Uh, so, we do have some other questions here. We're gonna we're gonna see how many of these we can get in. Smash them out. Got a little bit left. Um, all right, this one's a bit long. It's a bit long, but I think it's worthwhile. Uh, friend of the show, Dominic Gilfoyle says, I'd be interested in your thoughts on some of Australia's political comedians slash satirists. Ever since people have finally started actively calling out Chris Lilly on his racist bullshit, I've been wondering if the people I grew up watching were actually ever good, or if it was all kind of just trash like Lilly's. The Chasers stuff has been a bit toothless for a while, but were they ever actually any good? John Safran has produced some truly batshit stuff over the years. The Wikipedia article for race relations is so insane that I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't seen it on TV. But was but there was a time when people really paid attention to him. Was it just because he intentionally courted controversy? Basically, are there any political comedians slash satirists who you guys think are actually worth people's time? Sean McAuliffe. Yeah. Sean McAuliffe's good. Sean McAuliffe, yeah. He's lost a... I think he's lost a bit of his edge, but he's still pretty funny. I think maybe the nature of the show that he's doing is not <laughs> his... Yeah, he hasn't really he had his... Uh, since our Newstopia, he hasn't really had that show where he's got complete control i feel like i feel like they he maybe has a bit of editorial interference on mm. mad as hell sometimes do you ever watch that um what was the game show that he hosted that talking about my generation or whatever oh yeah so that was pretty shit except there was clearly one part of the show that he did write himself was that every i don't know what the mechanic was but they got some sort of secret envelope or something every episode and he would write this weird short monologue log sort of like a surreal abstract thing explaining how it came oh, to him yeah i remember that. and that was yeah. the one funny part of every show it was always delivered <laughs> incredibly and written beautifully and then the rest of it was just like it's a game show oh someone just mentioned selfies and it's the young team Ooh. <laughs> I am. Um, I still love the McAuliffe program oh, so much. That is one I of the all-time uh, greatest oh, Australian yeah. I was, things. I was just talking about that to someone the other day, and just started. Ended up looking up clips of like David McGann's world on YouTube. <laughs> I, can, I lose my and, shit uh, every time I think about that. Um, uh, oh, fucking the cats thing, where he's like, uh, "All cats are brown," as this exception to the rule proves, is one of my favorite <laughs> sentences in the world. The it's Dracula sea show. change skit. Oh, just, uh, so good. just to show sea change, except with Dracula from <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula. You know? It's very, very good. Fucking, I was watching one, some of the Roger explosion stuff the other day. Uh, oh, it's so funny. So incredibly good. Every time he, he misses his mark or something, or Reads says one of the other actors' lines. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> I do think the chaser used to be good. I think they just. I think it happens to a lot of comedians. They just got old and too comfortable. Yeah. I've never really liked the Chaser guys. I, like, 
No offense to them. I, they just always kind of rub me up the wrong way as a bit like smarmy private school they boys are very kind smart. of vibe. Yeah. CNN, CNN was, funny, was very good. Yeah, that's I good I really shit. fucking loved that. I also, um, there there were specific skits on, on their shit that I just really didn't like in the, in the way of like, I, I will never forget the one they did that where they were like, mm, uh, ski masks have a really bad reputation or like balaclavas or stockings or whatever, you know. They were like, they've got a really bad rap and we're trying to reform them. And then they would like put on ski masks and go into convenience stores. <laughs> And the dudes behind the counter would freak the fuck yeah, out. My favorite kind of pranks shanked. are ones where people fear for their lives. That's yeah, a good prank. Yeah, and they would be like, ha ha, got them. And they'd go, I just want to buy some gum. <laughs> be like, yeah, that's really... Any fucking prank, in inverted commas, that involves um, exactly what you would think was going to happen in that situation happening is not... This is why we fun. can't do satire. Bloody PC police, like Andrew over here. <laughs> PC police over just here. Just ruining everything. Oh, you, you're, triggering the, you're, you're triggering the convenience store workers' PTSD. Yeah, oh. yeah. Bloody um, uh, Utopia and- was pretty good. Mm, Utopia is oh, yeah. good. And that was very yeah. funny. It's not, you know, like political satire of anything specific. It's, you know, like fucking uh, thick of it style general political mechanics whatever but it was very very good hmm. uh, watch utopia folks all right we got a we i got think frontline still holds up too oh absolutely that's a very oh, old great. one yeah. but yeah um all right folks now we're transitioning to the most important questions of all mm-hmm. these are the questions addressed directly to matt are we ready mm-hmm. ready i don't know <clears throat> Friend of the show, Average Gamer, asks, uh, how long till Matt Brady successfully manages to make Newcastle an independent caliphate under Sir- under Sharia law? Uh, well, to start with, I, it would actually be a Shia caliphate, and they don't have a caliphate, <laughs> so... Do they? I don't actually know. Oh, you said that with so much gonna, confidence, ooh, I was I'm very impressed. I'm going to get in trouble now. Yeah, you're oh, on a watch oh. list. All my Hezbollah friends are going to think I'm so uncool. <laughs> uh, ooh, we have a question from a wife of the show. Kiss. Kiss. Um, kisses. Hey, can everyone can everyone do a lot of uh, kisses down they the love mic? It. it really bothers one of our listeners. And I was yeah. like, mm-hmm. Oh, big wet smooch for you. Oh, no, I don't like it. No, I don't like it. Stop it. Uh, wife of the show, Mick Marks, asks, is the Apex gang in Newcastle more likely to be found in fannies or duck's nuts? Definitely the duck's nuts. <laughs> What's a duck's nuts? Uh, well, fannies and duck's nuts are like the two bars slash nightclubs wow. that are open the latest. <laughs> wow. Great names. That's incredible. Yeah, the duck's nuts is... Uh, I think it used to... I don't know if it still is. It's It's been a few years since I've been to the old Ducks Nuts. I don't think it's actually there anymore, actually. But it oh. was, uh, for quite a time, the only bar in the CBD that was 24 hours. What a beautiful city. And I think uh, <laughs> Fanny's was more of a nightclub, but it was normally open till about 5 a.m. Okay. Somehow. So that's that's they, where they you go like, after the gang meeting, you know? Yeah. But no, definitely the Ducks Nuts. Oh, dear. All right. Uh, oh, and the final question. Now, I, I, when I saw this question, I was like, wow. 
Wow. We are going to need several minutes for this one. It's a real Sophie's Choice kind of scenario. Are you ready for it, Matt? I'm ready. Friend of the show, Mark Lewis, asks, What gets Matt more excited? Bin night or mowing the lawn? Oh, this is... Hmm. This is actually an easy one, I feel like. Cool. It's it's definitely mowing the lawn. Yeah, more of a sense of accomplishment? Yeah, it's it also takes longer, so it's more enjoyable. Bit nights, you know, it's over and done with in a couple of minutes, really. You get yeah, that's right true. down to it. That's true. You mowing never really... Lawn. You know, I've got a pretty big yard. It takes about probably an hour and a half to two hours if I'm doing the edges as well. God damn. So, it's a big lot. Yeah, yeah uh, it's a big yard. Yeah, see, yeah, I, I agree with you. You don't, you don't get a particular sense of satisfaction from uh, putting the bins out. All you really get is that uh, sense of dread when you hear the bin trucks mm. and realize you have not put the bins out. You've, so there's more of a potential for, for just a, a bad time with the bins. I do get a brief uh, little flare of victory if I'm the first person in my street to have the, my bins out. <laughs> but it doesn't last very long. Whereas once I mow the lawn and it looks all nice, it it that that can last a week or two. Every time I pull up and see how nice and all the edges are straight and oh god, it's so. Uh, the last house we lived in, um, we had a couple of big ass lawns and they had not been taken care of very well. They were extremely overgrown and everything. So you know when you cut them back and they're like really patchy underneath and all mm. that sort of thing. And um, it was a it was a real long term pleasure project to like. Uh, mow them every week and they just slowly grew in and got thick and spongy and evenly covered had a really good long-term sense of accomplishment out of that one beautiful it was very nice and then we moved away and i was like fuck that lawn burn it down for all i care uh now i don't have a lawn oh no, I, oh, no that's not true actually i have uh, i'm gonna say about uh three meters squared of lawn now. i just got a lawn for the first time I'm, uh, cool. I'm going to have to buy a mullet. Okay. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you very much, guys. It, it feels really good. All right. You're all bougie. I get it. I get it. I'm the poor person on the podcast. Don't have so to rub it in. Well, I mean, you live by yourself. You can't I be mean, that poor you if could, you choose to live, live by yourself. You could live I in Brisbane. I have a rock garden. I have a rock bed. <laughs> you chose to live in like the second most expensive city in the country. You fucking get what you deserve. Yeah. I didn't choose mm. I live in a life. suburb in Newcastle. There are like third generation doll bludgers who have their own houses and lawns. <laughs> oh, it's the dream. <laughs> uh, Lucy, you could grow like a little thing of wheatgrass that you could cut every now and then with some scissors, you know? I could do that. A little bonsai lawn. Oh, that's yeah. a cute idea. Get some more plants. Yep. Legal plants, just ferns and stuff, if uh, anybody's listening. Oh, I bloody saw Dan Andrews came out today. Yeah, I saying, saw that post. Yeah, no no plans to decriminalise weed in the future from the Andrews government. Yeah, he'll Fuck come it. around. He'll come around to it. Fuck off, Danny. The shine's coming off. An but to be fair... offer of uh, the podcast, we'll smoke you out, Dan Andrews. We will we'll do teach that. you the ways. To be yep. fair, when he posted, like, oh, Victoria's the big medicinal marijuana state, everyone's like, ah, oh, disgusting criminal. Daniel Andrews loves drugs and the Apex gang, etc. <laughs> Our two favorite things, smoking yep. weed and African crime. That's right. Yeah. Well, um, well, at least he can rest comfortably knowing that uh, he, he is only being threatened by fucking Matthew Guy. The most ri- ridiculous piece of shit politician ever. Uh, that guy, absolutely ridiculous. Everything he does is the dumbest shit ever. 
He's very bad. That's my opinion. He's very bad, incredibly unlike unlikable. He's very clearly been super corrupt the entire time he's been a politician or an opposition leader. When he was the planning minister, goddamn. He's got two first rube. names. He's got two first mm. names for a name, and I don't trust him. I really enjoy. He'd definitely that- be against legalizing marijuana because it might uh, negatively impact the businesses of some of his <laughs> friends. Hey. Wink, wink. <laughs> In the waste management business, <laughs> wink, 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 wink. Oh dear! I enjoy that uh, his surname makes any headline about him sound uh, really non-specific, like a satire. <laughs> like yeah, guy it does sounds something. like an onion headline. Yeah, yeah. Guy refuses to decriminalize marijuana. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. great. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Are we writing headlines when anyone does anything cool. Yeah. All right, folks. Uh, probably going to wrap it up there. As always, we would like to thank our dear beloved friend Matt Brady for coming on the show. Uh, would, Matt, would you like to nominate? This week's crime pass. Oh, oh! This week's yeah. crime pass. Um, this week's crime pass is uh, for a friend of the show, Nelly Yoa, and uh, snitches get stitches. That's all I'll say. Wow. Huh. Wow. All right. We need a lawyer. Mm. <laughs> it sounds like a threat, but tell you what, folks, it's not. It's absolutely <laughs> it's not. not. It's definitely not. It's a promise. It's not. Um. Yeah. Just. Send in that Bitcoin, Nelly. That's what we're waiting for. Send in that crypto. You've got so much of yeah. it, apparently. Prove yeah. it. I don't, Prove it, I mate. have no idea what to do with it, but once we get it, we'll figure it out. You can use it to buy drugs. That's what I've been told. Oh. I get have on two down the Silk Road. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, as always, if you would like any bonus episodes of the show, you can head on over to uh, patreon.com forward slash Vista. Subscribe for the mere cost of a small amount of money for a period of time. Uh, and and we've got some merch now. If you want to buy a shirt, maybe, buy a, a, shirt. maybe a stubby holder. I would think if I saw someone wearing a Bunta Vista shirt that they were uh, very cool and handsome. Mm. And sexually uh, appealing. It's true. Yeah. It's so true. Uh, yeah, and that's that's about it from us, folks. So until next week, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.